Good morning, Hope Church. It's really good to be with you this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, we thank you that you've called us to be men and women of faith, those who trust you, those who follow and walk with you, those that are inhabited by your spirit and do great exploits because Christ is formed in us. And Lord, I pray you'd be with us. Help us this morning. Uh, Lord, help us to be encouraged in you and to be strengthened in our walk with you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Really good to be with you. Uh, this morning we are looking at something called participation or passivity. Uh, I really wanted to look at this theme because it's something that I felt God has been speaking to me over these past few weeks. And I wanted to contrast uh, how we participate in Christ with how it's so easy to be passive. Let me clarify this. So passivity is defined by the British Dictionary. It says passivity, acceptance of what happens without active response or resistance. So you get this idea that passivity is about a lack of response. We're not responding to what we're involved in or we're engaged in. And where it becomes more complex is that we can be passive whilst we're engaged in something. It sounds a really oxymoron thing to say, but we can be passive in activities. Let me give you an example. How many of us have been in a conversation with somebody, but we're not really present? We're having the conversation, but in our minds, we are somewhere else. You can see it with people who are either playing on their mobile phone or watching the television whilst they're having a conversation with us. They are passive. They are not participating in the act that they are doing. Now, there are so many things that we do passively. There are so many things that we engage in that we engage in in a passive manner. Perhaps another example would be that of watching the TV. We all watch TV and we all know that there are certain things that we shouldn't be watching and yet we still watch them. Why do we do that? Well, we do it because we're passive. We're not responding. We're not engaging in the activity. And this covers so many areas in our lives. It covers conversations, it covers relationships, it covers family life, it covers work, it can cover things like our diet and our fitness. And most importantly, it can cover our walk with Jesus. We should not allow ourselves to be like a passenger on a bus who is led to destinations that he doesn't want to go to, but it's too passive to get off the bus. Let's talk for a moment about participation. Participation is about engagement. The dictionary says the action of taking part in something. And so, uh, participation is that we are active in something. To use the example that I used earlier about conversation, it's about choosing to switch off the mobile phone, switch off the television, and to be active in the conversation, to bring my thoughts together and say, I'm in a conversation with somebody and I'm going to focus on that person and I'm not going to allow my mind to be distractive. And so we need to choose to engage with things that are going on. Now, where the problem lies 
is that passivity can have real negative effects in our lives. The 1700s MP Edmund Burke made this comment that is very popular. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. There are lots of legislations that are being passed today in the United Kingdom that are bad, but they're being passed because too many people are passive and not doing anything about it. There are consultations that can be done online about abortion and all these other things that are going on, and yet the general populace is too passive. Now, you know, you might think by that whether well, legislation is passed because people agree with it. The majority of legislation is passed not because people agree with it, but because the majority are passive and those who engage with it are those who have their desire put into legislation. So the problem is that we see, but we don't do. We don't engage, we don't participate. Now, not just Edmund Burke, but the Bible is equally challenging on the subject. In James 4 verse 17, James writes, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Not only is passivity bad, it is sin. And the problem comes from our understanding of grace. For many people, God's grace is passive. We've been taught over the years that grace is undeserved, unmerited favour. So we're taught that we can do nothing. There is nothing that we can do. It's all that God can do. We can just sit back, enjoy the ride and be passive. Let me tell you, this is untrue. Yes, we have nothing to do with Christ's sacrifice. That is all on God and Jesus. But you will struggle to find a gospel in the New Testament that speaks of passive faith. Jesus called people to follow him, to leave their all, to take up their cross, to deny themselves. These are not passive things. They require decision and an action of the will. Surely we know that the day we decided to follow Jesus, we had to repent and repentance is active. It isn't a passive thing that we do. We need to engage. We need to participate. And after we made the decision to follow Jesus, what then? Well, he becomes our master. All other masters are dethroned. That's an active thing. We now belong to Jesus. And sadly, there are too many who claim to follow Jesus, but they do nothing about it. They live the way the world does. They go to church on a Sunday or during this lockdown period, they tune in to a YouTube message. But all the while, they are not engaging. They sit on the back row. They don't participate in Christ or his body. They continually want to be fed. They want others to do the work. These, my friends, are passive Christians. I cannot really even call them believers because believing cannot be passive. Believing is an active thing. Genuine faith cannot be passive. And so it engages the whole person. Now I can hear the cogs grinding in your mind and you're saying, Simon, you're far too harsh in this. Well, let me share with you what Jesus himself said. In Luke 10, verse 25 to 28, Luke says this. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Let me tell you, you cannot do that passively. You cannot love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength and mind in a passive manner. I mean, that is impossible. This is talking about a full life engagement. And remember, Jesus is answering the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's clearly saying you cannot be passive. It needs to engage your whole being if you want to follow me and if you want to receive eternal life. The word I want to use here is about participation. This best describes the drift of the New Testament in this area. We participate with Christ. There are things that only Christ can do, for instance, dying on the cross for our sins. But there are things only we can do, for instance, repenting, denying ourselves and following Jesus. Jesus knows nothing of backseat Christianity. Christianity is not a spectator sport. And if you're not on the field playing, then you're not involved at all. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this really is a bit of a warning. Over the last eight months, we've had a lot of stuff put online by many Christians, by many churches, and there is a danger that we become passive that all that happens is that we consume sermon after sermon. We tune into this church, into this Bible study, into this area. And what happens is we become passive. We do not engage with Christ. We just allow the television to bring us what we want. You know, there are many believers who are holding their breath until the church reopens. If we're in that state, we've missed the point. I am a believer wherever I am. I am a follower of Jesus wherever I am. I am part of Christ's body wherever I am. Church is not something we go to or do. It is something that we are. Sadly, we've allowed church tradition to lead the way. We've expected very little of Christians. If you go back just 50 years, the expectation of what it meant to be a Christian and a believer was far higher than it is today. We've abdicated our Christian participation to pastors and elders and deacons or to special teams in the church that do this or that. Let me remind you, the physical body has no spare parts and nor does Christ's spiritual body. So how do we move forward? Well, we need to hear what Christ is saying to the church. We need to get up and we need to follow Christ wherever he may, might lead us. We need to participate in faith. What does that look like, that participation? Well, first and foremost, it is our participation in Christ, as it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16. He says this, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? 
What does it mean to participate in Jesus's blood and body? Well, it means that we have benefited from Christ's death. Our repentance and our faith and Jesus's sacrifice make us benefactors of what he has done. We participate in what Jesus has accomplished for us. Some have called this over the years an exchanged life. Let me explain that. Romans 6 verse 3 to 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We haven't been clear enough about what baptism in water is all about. It is mentioned in the Bible. It's not a rite of passage. It's not something we do because it's a tradition. It's a tradition of the church. We do it because we are submitting our lives to Jesus. In fact, baptism in water is a burial ceremony. Did you know that if you've been baptized in water, at that point you were agreeing to Jesus that you were dead to yourself? You were saying, I am being put into the water and I am now dying so that Christ's life can come and live through me. We are going to cease to live to allow Christ to live through us. That's what baptism is. You get this idea that participation takes our all. We are willingly allowing ourselves to die in Christ. Now, this thought of dying in Christ is not a new thing. It's all through the New Testament. Here are a couple of instances in Colossians. Colossians 2 verse 20, since we died with Christ. Colossians 3 verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The purpose of this death was that Christ might live in us and through us Christ would impact the world. Turning again to Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The flow of a person becoming a believer and following Jesus goes a bit like this. Firstly, he is convicted of sin. Secondly, he repents of his sin by believing in Jesus. Thirdly, he gets baptized in water to signify that he has now died to himself. Fourthly, Christ is formed in the believer. Fifthly, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, teaches him and leads him. And sixthly, from, from that point forward, everything is now done in faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the difficulty is that many of us are not really dead. Christ is not on the throne. There is no easy way to say this, but if we claim to follow Jesus, we have given up all our rights to ourselves. If I follow Jesus, I have no right to be rich or healthy or well-educated. I have no right to follow my desires or build my own career or run after my ambition. Why? Because I'm dead. It's an exchanged life. Christ gave his life that I might have eternal life, but through baptism and faith and believing in Jesus, I now lay down my life that Christ's life can live through me and through me impact the world. And here's the challenge. We're often not dead. 
You know, many of us are still in control of our lives. We're still planning our future. We're still planning our ambition, what we want to do. Let me say to you this morning that Christ's death purchased us. We no longer have a right to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And a bit further down in chapter 7 verse 21 to 24, he says, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is now the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. This is what I mean about participating in Christ. We die to ourselves. We die to our own ambitions and plans and we embrace Christ. We participate in his life. Our life is exchanged for his. You may be wondering, well, why is this needed? Because the simple truth is only Christ can change the world. Only Christ can draw people to himself. The hope of the world does not lie in political or social change. It lies with Christ alone. Only he can change the condition of the human heart. And without that, all we are doing is building on the flesh, upon the sinful nature. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ. It is his body. He is at the head and his body is made up of many of us. We are part of that body if we follow Jesus. Those of us who have died to ourselves, who live our lives by faith in Jesus, who recognize that we do not have it in ourselves to change anything. We are weak, we are broken, we are poor, but we recognize that Christ in us is the hope of glory, as is written here in Colossians 1 verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is not about us. It is not about my gift or my strength. It's about Jesus' strength and it's about my weakness. The combination of my weakness and Jesus' strength can change the world. Let me read to you some words written about John G. Lake, the great revivalist. Dr. Lake came to Spokane. He found us in sin. He found us in sickness. He found us in poverty of spirit. He found us in despair, but he revealed to us such a Christ as we had never dreamed of knowing this side of heaven. We thought victory was over there, but Dr. Lake revealed to us that victory was here, a present and possible reality. It is Christ and Christ alone that changes the world. And we are called to be earthen vessels that he will fill. 
Now, before you respond, I will say it for you. Yes, we feel too weak. We feel that we can't do it. We haven't got the ability. We haven't got the strength. We haven't got the gift. Yes, we feel all of that. All of that is true. But let me tell you, it is that weakness that allows the power of Jesus to flow through us. If you read the magazine Heroes of the Faith or any history of men and women of God, what you will find is they were broken, weak people. And because they recognized they had nothing to offer, they could allow the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to flow through them and change countless lives. Remember what we learned from Hebrews 11. No plan of God is humanly achievable. God's plan was that many would die to themselves and they would be clothed with Christ and Christ would bring the victory. Henry Varley uh, made a comment to D.L. Moody that was burned into D.L. Moody's mind. And this is what he said. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And D.L. Moody's response was, I want to be that man. What about you? Do you want to be that man or woman today? You know, the Methodist Church have an annual covenant service. And in that covenant service, they pray a special prayer. And that prayer is a prayer of covenant with God. I'm going to read that prayer, but when I finished reading it, I'm going to pray it. And if you are so moved in your heart, I want you to pray it with me. This is the prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. I'm going to pray that now. And if you want to join me in that, the words will come on the screen and we will pray this together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it and the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day.